This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Well, what a great introduction to Rabbi Michael Katz through Rabbi Ari Shishla. Um, yes, it is worth listening to Rabbi Shishla for some fresh thinking. But uh, you're with Rabbi Katz here on Judaism 101.9 on a Wednesday afternoon. 11 minutes past two and a couple of seconds, but great to be with you this afternoon. And of course, a momentous day, I guess, in the life of the African continent, because it seems that uh, while things seem to be quiet, but then don't these things always start off a little quiet, um, that just north of here there is a lot of action in Zimbabwe, and um, of course there has to be a Jewish view on that as well. Well, what is uh, the greatest coup from a Jewish point of view? The greatest coup from a Jewish point of view, of course, would be the coming of Mashiach. And wouldn't it be wonderful if um, while we look at world events, we just think about the fact that um, world events happen because of spiritual reasons, that ultimately God is in control of everything. Um, People need to remember that Panic stations are not really on a Jewish agenda, but rather um, how we interpret and what we learn from current events, from things that happen here, there and everywhere in order to be able to fashion our way of thinking. Today we're going to divide our um, session into two parts. The first segment we're going to be dealing a little bit with the coming Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, which begins on Saturday night and Sunday. And we get into a brand new month of Kislev. We'll uh, chat a little bit about that for the first part of uh, today's show. And after that, I'd like to ask you the question. Since this Shabbat is the Shabbat in which we read Parshat Toldos, or Toldot, where we're talking about heritage, where we're talking about lineage, where we're talking about descendants, Perhaps the question that we need to ask ourselves on this very day and on these days surrounding this parasha is what kind of toldos, what kind of heritage and what kind of examples are we giving to our children? Of course, we stand in awe of Avram Avinu, of Abraham, and the fact that he was able to hand over a legacy to his son. And of course, this has been the modus operandi of Judaism throughout its existence, father to son mother to daughter, families to their children, children to their children, and so on. Are we prepared? Are we ready? Have we done what we need to do in order to hand over our legacy? And what is the legacy that we're going to give to our kids? Well, today is the 26th day in the month of Cheshvan. Day number 26 means, of course, that tomorrow is 27, that the next day is 28, and the day after that, which is Shabbat, will be the 29th. And then the month seemingly abruptly comes to an end over Shabbat, and we go headlong into the month of Kislev, the new month beginning on Saturday night, Sunday, is Rosh Chodesh. And it is not unusual, but there is something a little bit different about this Rosh Chodesh compared to many of the other Rosh Chodesh of the different months of the year. And that is that if we take a look at our Jewish calendar, the calendar which we have discussed here before is divided, of course, into the months as they match the moon, and moon and month, of course, same word, that the months go by a lunar cycle, the lunar calendar, 
And of course, then we would know that each month is 29 and a half days, more or less. And with each month being 29 and a half days, mirroring the cycle of the moon from one full moon to the next, or rather from one new moon to the next, more accurately. We actually have the uh, difficulty from time to time of um, how we're going to intercalate, how we're going to work out the calendar, because Jewish months, therefore, are either 29 days or 30 days. And then throw into the mix the fact that the uh, festivals, the Chagim, have to occur on certain days of the week. Um, they cannot occur on any old day of the week. If you take, for instance, Yom Kippur, that cannot be on a Friday or a Sunday or a Tuesday. It dictates all the other Chagim, all the other festivals. And so sometimes it is necessary within this calendar to have an extra day somewhere along the way in order to be able to model in order to be able to move, so to speak, in the calendar, the Chagim, the festivals, into their right format and onto the right days of the week. Because otherwise it wouldn't all add up, it wouldn't all work out if you just do the mathematics. And so there are two months in the Jewish calendar that um, can have 29 or 30 days. And those two months are the two months that are on either side of this Rosh Chodesh, which is Cheshvan and Kislev. Cheshvan and Kislev can sometimes have 29 days, and they can sometimes have 30 days. It's not always 29. It's not always 30. Sometimes both of them have 29 days. Sometimes both of them have 30. And sometimes one will have 29 and the other one will have 30, all getting a little bit complicated to tell you a very, very simple story. And that's that Rosh Chodesh Kislev, um, is sometimes one day, as it is this year, and sometimes it's actually two days. It would be two days when the month of Cheshvan would have 30 days in it, which it doesn't this year. And therefore, the way that the calendar is structured and the way that it's worked out, we actually have a very interesting um, Rosh Chodesh this um, coming month or this coming Chodesh, as it would be and as it sometimes is over the period of Hanukkah, that uh, the festival of Hanukkah sometimes spans all the way through to the third of, of, of Tevet and sometimes is only to the second because there is sometimes 29 and sometimes 30 days in the month of Kislev as well. Well, we're dealing with a 29-day Cheshvan. So that means the last day of Cheshvan of this month is actually on Shabbat. The first day of Kislev is actually on Saturday night and Sunday and therefore um, this year clearly is a month, is a, is a year in which Cheshvan has only 29 days. Now why I'm telling you all of this is because it's at the advent of the month of Kislev, um, specifically, that we kind of move out of a bit of a lull in the Jewish calendar, a bit of a dull period, let's call it, the month of Cheshvan, during which there are no highlighted festivals, there are no great sheikhs, so to speak, having come out of the month of Tishrei and gone into Cheshwan. It's a little bit quiet, a little bit dull, and then comes Kislev. And with the arrival of Kislev, we actually have, um, we're told that in the time of um, the Hasmoneans and later, um, when the Beth Din sanctified the month through the testimony of the witnesses who would come in and tell them that it was Rosh Chodesh, they sent messengers out to tell the outlying areas um, when 
that month had been sanctified. In other words, when the beginning of the month had actually been. And the reason was so that they would know when the Chag, when the Yom Tif that was occurring in that month would actually be. And um, interestingly enough, of course, they did this in every month in which there was a Chag, in which there was a Yom Tif. And they did it, of course, in Kislev, because this month of Kislev has a very bright festival that comes towards the end of it, which is the festival, the Chag of Hanukkah, which occurs on the 25th day of Kislev. And so this was no exception. They would send out the messengers to make sure that the people knew the lie of the month and that they knew specifically when it had begun so that the candles for the Hanukkah menorah could be lit on their correct day at the end of the 24th day of Kislev. And so this month, of course, is the month of light. It's the month really of a turnaround from that lull, from that kind of downhearted feeling perhaps that we have in the month of Cheshvan to turning things around and making it all bright and all brilliant and all beautiful for the coming month of Kislev. So it is about turnaround time, but interestingly enough, it's about um, the either side of the Rosh Chodesh Kislev that this all actually develops over this coming weekend. I'll be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Oops, an apology there, just a little bit of a shortcut ending to that song, but uh, great to be back with you. And, of course, talking about upcoming events, things happening in Judaism on Judaism 101.9. Well, of course, Rosh Chodesh Kislev is a very, very important date in the Chabad Hasidic calendar and uh, takes on a whole new hue, a whole new meaning this year. Um, because it marks the 40th anniversary since the great celebration of Rosh Chodesh Kislev, which happened 40 years ago on this coming weekend, when, unfortunately, the Lubavitcher Rebbe had suffered a heart attack. Um, in fact, it took place on Simchat Torah. He was confined um, in his room, in his office, which was actually set up as a hospital ward uh, for the duration of the next number of weeks and days. And it was on Rosh Chodesh Kislev that he actually uh, went home and uh, returned practically to normal life uh, once again following that devastating event that um, really set the entire Chabad, Hasidic world, um, into a little bit of a spin. But of course, on the Rosh Chodesh Kislev of 40 years ago, things looked bright. They turned around, the month of Cheshvan had come to an end, and now there was just light and brightness. Um, the Rebbe was um, healed, he was going home, and uh, we knew once again that there were going to be great and wonderful things on the horizon for uh, Chabad and for the entire Jewish world. And of course, obviously, there were. Now, if we think back to that kind of an event and we think about that kind of a turnaround, that has become the um, an essential mark within the Chabad Hasidic calendar. And it is obviously because of that reason that over this weekend in, uh, in New York, in America, many people are aware of the celebration, the commemoration of the great conference that is held for Chabad from all over the world. 
um, for Shluchim, for the emissaries of the Rebbe, and then of course many uh, laymen, many people who are part of the Chabad communities from around the world join in and participate in this um, incredible, incredible event that takes place for literally thousands of people um, over this coming weekend with the great banquet on Sunday evening um, taking place in fact, this year, not actually in New York, but actually in New Jersey, just across uh, the Hudson, um, on uh, in 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 the, in, the uh, in New Jersey itself, rather than in New York. But of course, celebrating and commemorating all the wonderful work of Chabad around the world, um, and this great gathering of people from all over the world who come there and have the opportunity to participate in it all. So, a great event, great turnaround. Great um, marking of what Rosh Chodesh Kislev is all about and what it has come to mean to all of us. I was thinking, however, today to spend some time um, discussing something a little bit different, and that is the idea of a legacy. Um, this is the Parsha of the legacy, and the legacy of the Parsha, of course, is Avram Holid Isitzchok. Abraham gave a legacy to Isaac. What did he give Isaac? Well, there are many, many different views on exactly what the meaning is of that statement that is made right up front and right at the beginning of the Parsha that we're going to read on this Shabbos. The first thing, of course, that he gave him, we're told simply, was his looks, because there were those who were saying that it had, it was an absolute impossibility that Avram, at his ripe old age, could have given birth, um, could have fathered in the child. Um, that was born, that was lying there, and that perhaps he had picked picked up a kid in the marketplace, and he was coming now to try and propagate um, all sorts of miracles and wonders, and to preach that and show that and demonstrate it to the world. And it says that um, Hashem was Metzayer Klaster Ponov, the face of the child, was the splitting image of his father. God made the face of Yitzchok look exactly like his father. So, like father, like son, he looked like his father. Is it as simple as that? Is it not something a lot deeper than that and a lot more important for us to have to learn from? And of course, there are myriads of different commentaries and different ideas around just this idea alone in Torah. But I've thought long and hard today something that I would like to share with you um, just over uh, experiences and in observing people over a period of time, and perhaps to begin with something that I remember learning from a um, an educational psychologist who was giving a lecture some time back at a school that my children attend, and um, the lecture was about um, raising children and giving them the right um, attitudes towards learning and the right attitudes towards their school and, of course, the usual that you would expect um, about discipline and about homework and about all of those things. Um, at, the, at the time, we were fairly new parents of children at school. <clears throat> and, of course, it was fascinating, fascinating, interesting, and extremely, extremely informative. Towards the end of his presentation, there was a woman who... Um, asked a question, I remember it just like yesterday, and the question was, what does one do if you have a child who just won't listen? If you have a child who just will not cooperate, if there is a child who just doesn't want to, 
just won't, won't listen, won't do the homework, won't do anything. And of course, we're talking about here not where there is something that has been diagnosed as being problematic uh, with the child, where of course that needs to be dealt with and uh, and, uh, and and applied and and, ther- and and therapized and done properly and correctly. We're not going down that road right now, but we're talking about normal kid who just digs in his heels or her heels and just becomes dafka and will not listen. I'll never forget the answer that this um, clever psychologist gave on that particular day. And um, he said as follows, what would be, what would happen if you were now informed today that you were getting a posting to go and live in a place? He used then the example of going to live in China. You were told you're going to live in China. Your um, job has transferred you or your husband's job has transferred you and off you go or you're about to go to live in China. What do you do? The first thing that you would probably do is try and learn a little bit of the language before you depart. Um, how to say hello, how you, how to ask uh, for a taxi, how to uh, talk about the money, how to how to anything. Just a little bit of a knowledge of the background of China and Chinese. So he said, so you might uh, go on a course, you might get some um, in those days, it was still CDs or tapes that you would uh, I guess the younger generation doesn't even know what I'm talking about. Um, those are the things that used to play uh, music in your car or whatever. You know, um, today we, those have all become all but obsolete. Um, and uh, you would get them and you would get some course and you would start learning simple words and eventually you would go into sentences and eventually you would try and learn the language. Now, how, no matter how good he said you are at languages, you will probably never master Chinese like a Chinaman. Um, And yet, a child growing up in China, without all your acumen, without all your brain power, and without all your knowledge and ability in languages, a child can pick it up absolutely perfectly. You will always have the wrong accent. You will always make mistakes in the usage of words. You will always, um, learning it as an adult, battle with the sentence structure and so on. But a Chinese kid growing up in China um, will get it right perfectly, um, usually, the first time round. And he then said, why? And he went on to a very, very simple thought, and that is because the first and foremost best educators of children are, believe it or not, parents. The parents in the home teach the children best, and not only because they sit them down and give them lectures and tell them what to do, but because kids in a home environment are perfect mimics. They copy everything that you do. They imitate you. They imitate the way you walk. They imitate the way you talk. And they imitate the way you express yourself. And he went on to say, now, if you think about that and we apply it to your question of if a child digs in his heels and just won't, it's probably because he's actually seen that in you. He's behaving and reflecting something that he observed the parents doing. He observed a parent uh, stamping their feet. He observed a parent slamming a a door. He observed a parent um, doing something that was um, negative in his perception or her perception, and therefore they're mimicking that. They're copying that. Kids are, it's unpleasant to hear, but kids are very good copycats 
and they like to copy and they like to mimic their parents. And if you think about it, yeah, there's so much that we could explain away as being genetic. And, of course, there's a lot that is genetic. And uh, very often kids are taken away from or uh, are not in a parent environment. And yet they can grow up with all sorts of parental traits as well. But they learn a tremendous amount from imitation, from mimicking, from copying you. And therefore, we have to ask ourselves the question, and that is from a general point of view, whether it is social, whether it is um, emotional, whether it is Jewish, or whether it is just pure societal, we have to ask ourselves the question of, are we setting the right examples for our children to follow? Every time we do something and the kids are with us, whether in the car, whether in a store, whether in a public place or in a private place, um, the children are watching and imitating, and they're going to imitate everything that you do. They will close the door the way that you do. They will open the door the way, that, the way that you do. They will speak the way that you do, and they'll treat a customer the way that you do, and they will treat a... Um, a, a shop attendant, a shop assistant, a a cashier, um, a person in the street, they will imitate that. They will copy that. And it's an amazing thing for us to have to take, perhaps, as a leaf out of the book of Avram Avinu. What does it mean that Avram holy the Yitzchok? What does it mean that Abraham gave a heritage to Isaac? It wasn't just that he sat him down and taught him all his knowledge about God and the world. It wasn't just that he taught him all the Torah and all the mitzvot that he knew then and that he was practicing at that time. It wasn't just that he gave him the knowledge and the literature and the long lectures, but he set the kind of example that his son could follow and knew that that was the right way because that was the way that his father did it. There are so many things that I think that if we just close our eyes for a moment and think about, there are so many things that we do. And if you actually pinpoint where you got them from and why you do them, whether they are seemingly habitual or whether they are things that you do as one-offs or whether they are ways that you react to certain circumstances, difficulties, problems, issues that you may confront, that we've actually learned from our parents and that we are mimicking them and copying them at all times, that it's actually quite unbelievable. And we therefore have to think long and hard about this question, are we giving our children the right example? Are we setting them a heritage that they can follow? Are we giving them the kind of atmosphere both in and out of the home? Are we giving them the kind of atmosphere that they can and that they will be able to observe, learn from, imitate, mimic, and actually therefore be able to integrate into their lives in a very, very positive fashion? If the answer to that is um, – a definite yes, well then great, um, then thank you for listening and it's been great talking to you. If the answer is um, absolutely not, well then don't, isn't it time for us to review our own personal behaviors, our own personal attitudes and remember at all times that not only is there a big God up there who's watching, but your children are watching. Your children are going to mimic you, they're going to imitate you. Um, and when one day you observe your son or daughter, your child, behaving badly <clears throat> in a public environment, close your eyes for a moment and think about where and how do they perhaps, not saying always, but perhaps that they learnt it from you, 
that perhaps you are the one who actually, through your behavior, has instructed them, has taught them this kind of a legacy. So what kind of a legacy are we leaving our children? What kind of a legacy are we giving to them? And can we say, Avram, Hele, this Yitzchok, about ourselves and our children? I'll be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So it's an ongoing debate and an ongoing discussion, of course, of the kind of examples that we're setting. And I think that for the last few minutes that we have together today, let's perhaps think about, unpack and explore a few ideas, a few things that um, I certainly have noticed um, where perhaps we're just getting it a little bit wrong um, in the examples that we are setting to our children just in a general way, not necessarily always in a religious context. Um, if we think about um, attitudes towards other people, um, do we go around with a long face um, or do we greet people when we see them in the street? You know, um, my late father always used to talk about uh, visiting a school or a school grounds, um, and yes, fortunately or unfortunately, um, a Jewish school environment where you walk into the school environment and he always used to say, the amazing thing is that um, you can walk down the school corridor, see lots and lots of kids, see teachers, um, um, all sorts of different people who you would imagine that you would see in the school corridors. And it was always, he said, only the cleaning staff who would say good morning, the cleaning staff who would greet him and say hello. Um, I've had cause, as I'm sure many people have, to visit different schools, different uh, places of education. And you see a marked difference in many different places. And, of course, it's an ethic, obviously, that the school demands. But is this not something that we could teach our kids as parents by setting them the right example? When you see somebody, greet them. When you see an adult, when you see somebody older than you, you greet them in a pleasant way. You greet them in a way whereby you are showing them respect. You don't just walk by without saying good morning, saying hello. Of course, it doesn't have to be um, <clears throat> with the good morning sir and the doffing of the cap. We don't need to go to that kind of an extent. But we do need to know that it's important to greet people. And you watch, you see, when parents are friendly and greet people, whether it's in the store, in the street, wherever it may be, that the children grow up that way and they do that as well. Is this not something that Avram Avinu, that Abraham taught us to greet and to be macabre everybody, but save it upon him your office with a good countenance, with a good face? Um, there is something about greeting that is a very, very big opener to the way that um, people should do and need to learn how to behave. Let's think a little bit beyond that. What about the way we interact with somebody when something goes wrong? Have you ever seen... Um, people throwing literally their toys or their groceries out of the cot or out of the supermarket trolley um, when something goes wrong in a shop in a in a in a a customer kind of a an environment um, and you watch people's behavior 
becoming rather sinister and rather negative and rather terrible. And uh, children are standing by, their kids are standing by and observing this. Well, if you're going to throw your toys out the cot because the cashier puts through um, something incorrectly um, in trying to tally up your um, account or um, not wanting to take the item that you're returning and so on, if you're going to lose your cool and you're going to behave badly and you're going to get insulting, perhaps, dare I say, sometimes even making a racist comment from time to time, is that not exactly what your children are going to observe and copy and imitate? And if we're trying to um, bring up children who have that kind of a heritage and that kind of a legacy, surely we've got to watch very, very carefully what we say, what we do, and how we behave in front of them. Two simple, simple examples. But what about if we extend it a little bit more? You know, um, I, of course, I've reason in my own community to learn with, to teach um, a few of our young guys for their bar mitzvahs, to spend some time learning with a child for his bar mitzvah. One of the things that I try to impress upon a child when he's learning for his bar mitzvah, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, is the importance of being in the shul environment um, rather than just having to perform on the particular day. And, of course, all the other mitzvot, all the other things that go with becoming a bar mitzvah or having a bar mitzvah. One of the things that um, I seem to battle with a lot is, and you don't want to make it obligatory and so on, but is the fact that you can have kids learning for their bombies, and uh, no matter how much you try, you cannot get the father to bring the son to shul for a few weeks at least, and hopefully for an entire year before his bar mitzvah on a Shabbat morning, because Shabbos morning is just a time when all sorts of other activities have to happen, uh, whether it is business or whether it is sport or whether it's uh, just public entertainment or whether it's um, just relaxing at the pool. But um, you want to try and convince your child that a bar mitzvah is a big event, a big day. They're getting that hopefully from the teacher. They're getting that hopefully from the school. They're getting that hopefully from the environment that you're trying to put them in. But at the same time, you're not prepared to deliver and you're not prepared to um, show them the kind of legacy that you want them to learn from, which ultimately is that they should feel and know the importance of this bar mitzvah. Well, obviously, they are reading and they will read um, your reluctance as being exactly the way that they need to behave towards it. And when it comes their time for anything Jewish, for anything spiritual, for anything to do with shul and God and so on, they too will relegate it to um, second on the list of importance after all the other things um, that may have and that do come up in your own life. And of course, therefore, the example that we have to set for them is an essential one. You cannot send your children to shul with a maid. You cannot send your children to shul with somebody else just because they're on the way while you are taking it easy or you are going off to play golf or you are going to do anything else. What kind of an example are you setting? You're setting the, a very an antithetical kind of example than the one that you are purporting to do and that you're wanting to do. What's the point of the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah in the first place if that is the attitude, that is the way that you're going to behave towards it? And I'm sure that I'm um, not um, overgeneralizing, but unfortunately this has become something and it maybe always has been something that's endemic to the way that we treat our bar and bat mitzvahs um, in our own lives and perhaps it's time for us to have a rethink and to change it up a little bit and to make it a little bit different and that is set the right example 
You show that kind of enthusiasm. You show that involvement. You show that um, being there on a Shabbat morning is something that is absolutely important to you and your children are going to follow suit and they're going to want to be there. They are going to want to imitate you because that's ultimately what kids want to do. That is certainly what they do do. And of course, one final um, little idea that uh, perhaps um, we should think about when it comes to setting our children the right types of examples. Um, I was going around quite recently, um, saw the very cute um, little video clip. I'm sure many people have seen it as well, but it got the message across so well is of um, a group of um, people all standing around what clearly is a Friday night Shabbat table. The father is trying to get them to pay attention to make Kiddush, but unfortunately all of them are on their cell phones. This one is reading an email. This one is typing an SMS. The other one is um, attending to their WhatsApp messages. Somebody else is talking on the phone. And um, he really loses it with them all and he forces them. He says to them, you know, it's enough is enough. Put away your phones, put them all away. And the next thing he pulls out his phone to make kiddush from his siddur on the phone. It is a very, very poignant kind of a uh, little satire on the type of uh, examples that perhaps we are not setting. You cannot tell your children to put away their phones at the supper table if you're busy on yours. You cannot tell your family that uh, we're not going to have cell phones interfering with our family life um, where, unfortunately, you keep on doing that yourself. We've got to be able to walk the talk. We've got to be able to live the life, and we've got to be able to teach by example. Ve'ele told us Yitzchak ben Avram, if we really want our children to be um, children who proudly can go around saying that they are our kids, that they are Jewish children, and that they behave in a beautiful and a Jewish way, we need to give them that legacy. We need to give them that heritage. We need to set that example. We need to have it right in our own behavior so that they have the finest example in order to be able to mimic, to copy, and to learn from. Please, God, we too will be able to spread this kind of thinking and heritage um, to our children, to all those around us, and hopefully to make our world a much better place. Look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9. In the meantime, have a great rest of the week, a wonderful Shabbat up ahead, a good Chodesh for Saturday night and Sunday with the advent of the month of Kislev. And uh, hope to see you again and be with you again next week.